Hey everyone, welcome to the Mother's Day episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, the Amateur Gourmet, and today we are celebrating mothers. And to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Today I was on the phone with my mother and I asked her if she wanted to come on the introduction of this podcast, thinking that she'd say yes and that we could fill 10 minutes, but she politely said no. Um, I'm not insulted. I think that in the past, I maybe asked her too many personal questions, and so she didn't like that. That's just my conjecture, but she's coming to LA this weekend, and we're going to celebrate Mother's Day together, so you'll get to see pictures of that on my Instagram at Amateur Gourmet. But my guest today is the perfect Mother's Day guest. Her name is Sarah Copeland. She's an award-winning food writer. I met her 15 years ago when I used to work at the Food Network, and since then, she's published, I think, four cookbooks including The Newlywed Cookbook, Feast, Every Day is Saturday, and Instant Family Meals. And she's been published in the New York Times, Food and Wine, Sever, Martha Stewart Living. So she's a great, great person to ask about Mother's Day cooking, A, because she knows all that, and B, because she is a mother herself. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Copeland. Yeah, we were just chatting before I hit record, but we met each other at the Food Network, or Food Network as they call it. I used to get in trouble for calling it the Food Network. Same, the. <laughs> you have to drop the the. Yeah, but you were, were, you, you were working in the test kitchen then, or is, was that? Yeah, okay. I was in the test kitchen for many years on the, well, on the magazine launch side, but mostly starting with the TV side and then the web and then on the magazine side overlapping with when you had your show there. Oh my God. That was so long ago. It was so funny. I was so, so long ago. I was so naive when I had that show. Like I didn't understand anything. I think that's why they hired me because I was like such a, so green and like had never been on camera before. And it was just so funny how polished, I mean, you were always very polished. Like you felt, I always felt like you knew what you were doing. I was like, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing here. I think that was back in my fake it till you make it face. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to know that that was working. <laughs> and actually when I met you then, was that when you sold the Newlywed Cookbook? Was that back then? That's right. Yeah. I sold the Newlywed Cookbook in like maybe my fifth or sixth year working there. And then I left to write the book. And I was also pregnant. I left with a book deal and a 12-week pregnancy. Oh, my and God. And a husband. Um, <laughs> okay. The whole package. And then I kind of left and, and went out on my own after that. And you've been very, very successful. I mean, how many cookbooks have well, you written thank now? Thank you. I wrote my fourth cookbook. Wow. My fourth cookbook came out in 2020. And I don't think people will realize how much work goes into a cookbook. Because, I mean, I just did a cookbook of Broadway recipes that were inspired by Broadway shows. I, was only, I saw that. Yeah, but it's only 50 recipes. And okay. I spent so much time cooking through them. And whenever I see someone with a cookbook with like 150 recipes, I'm like, how did you do that? I mean, I, I don't even know how many recipes your cookbooks have, but I imagine they're, they have a lot. And so you must Well, just... you know what? Every time I write a cookbook proposal, I'm like 135 or 150 <laughs> yeah. recipes in my my agent's always like, let's just say 100 or yeah. over 100, yes. you know, because... Really, I mean, you want the value and I always want to give the value of 125 or right. more recipe, but often a really big, thick, beautiful book with lots of lush photography will have a hundred recipes. And it's, it's actually a lot. It's, yes. it's a lot of recipes to work through. And as the creator, it's an enormous project. Sometimes you can Anywhere tell where you're nearing. Yeah. In a yeah. cookbook, if you're flipping through it, sometimes you can tell when somebody like throws something in there, like, you know, uh, sauteed right. peanuts with salt. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all right, yeah, that's not really a recipe. Um, well, I invited you on today, A, because I wanted to talk to you and catch up and hear all about what you're doing. But 
B, I was about to say two, but it was A, B. Um, <laughs> it's Mother's Day is this Sunday, and I thought you'd be a great guest for this because not only are you a daughter, but you're a mother and vice versa. And also you write books that sort of are for the family. You have a family cookbook. Well, yeah, my first book is The Newly I Cookbook, and then my life evolved, and then my books kind of evolved. So my fe- second book is Feast, which is vegetarian, and my third book, Every Day is Saturday, and just so visual. It is very family oriented. Yes. It's easy, breezy, kind of weekend friendly meals, weeknight dinners, entertaining food. And you see my kids in all the cookbooks. So yeah. I think that's a natural. Okay. So I wasn't, off, I wasn't off base inviting you on to yes, talk. Yes, exactly. Well, definitely. And my, yeah. my most recent book is definitely family focused. It's called Instant Family Meals. That's what the one I was book. thinking of. Yeah. Because I saw that. Yeah. So, okay. So with Mother's Day, I feel like there's the cliche approach to Mother's Day, which is like Mother's Day brunch and or breakfast in bed. And, you know, I'm not a mother. I have a mother. My mother does not like to eat at home. She doesn't like home cooked food. So she's coming to Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so oh she's coming God. to LA for um, Mother's Day, and we're going to go out to dinner, and uh, she's thrilled. So that's easy for her. But what about you? What do you What do you like to do on Mother's Day? Well, you know, I cook all the meals in my family, like three meals a day. My husband does not cook at all. He's an exceptional dish doer, and he makes beautiful tables for me to serve my food on. So for me, going out to dinner is also, or breakfast or brunch is a big treat to have anyone else cook for me where I don't have to think about it. I don't have to shop. And I definitely don't have to clean up. Uh And I don't have to hear kids whining about, you know, they like part of what I made or they're not in the mood. Yeah. But, you know, I think for years I bought into the cliche that like if I was loved, I would get breakfast in bed. Like my husband would automatically, that was like in the DNA card that he would be like, oh, bingo, she's going to want breakfast in bed. And my husband's not American. So it's this, I think that's a very American idea. And Where's he from? He's from Hungary. Hungry. Okay. So in Hungary, they they, they don't have breakfast in bed. They don't do that. No. And they have a totally different Mother's Day. So it took me like many years to train him what day Mother's Day was. And then years of being like, oh, you know, what we do here in our country is breakfast (laughs) in bed. Before I realized, you know what? Number one, this isn't working. Number two, I don't want breakfast in bed. I don't like crumbs in my bed. (laughs) I like really tidy bed and a messy table. Right. So what my family does, which I think is so fun, we my backyard here, we're in upstate New York. We moved out of New York City a while ago. And we have um, cherry blossom trees and peach trees and plum trees that are all in bloom and lilacs that are in bloom on this weekend. Mm. And so my family does breakfast in the hammock for me. And I sit in the hammock and, you know, I can just enjoy my yard. It's like the one day of the year I actually sit in my hammock. And they buzz around in the kitchen. I can't hear them. I'm not going to correct them. <laughs> Wait, you call it and hammock? Is make... it hammock? Oh, hammock. Whatever. Yeah, I say hammock. <laughs> I've never funny? heard anyone say that before. <laughs> I just, I, I thought I like was mispronouncing. But is that is that sort of? No, I'm probably saying it wrong. It's a, it's my Midwestern accent. Oh, hammock. No, it's cute. It was like I'm going to call it a hammock. That's you know, so in the hammock. I lay in the hammock or the hammock, <laughs> yeah. as I call it. And they bring me whatever they bring me. And half the time, you know, my, we always joke, my husband makes like, he used to make these hockey puck pancakes that were like so hard as a rock. Uh-huh. And now he's really sweet. He just follows, he, he, he latches on to one recipe from each of my books. Every time I write a new book, he latches onto one thing and it's usually a pancake and he's mastered pancakes. So he'll make, he'll make a pancake following the recipe verbatim. And bring that out. And I think that's super fun because like whatever falls on the floor and if the kids are climbing on my lap and, 
you know, if they're in your bed and it's it's like you're supposed to be your special meal of the day and everyone's like, oh, can I have your strawberries? Can I have your chocolate covered? Whatever. Uh-huh. Like, can I drink your fresh squeezed orange juice? And it's not really at the end of the day. It's never really for you when you're a mom. But a, but a hammock <laughs> is is not very stable. I feel like it, like you're you're rocking back and forth. Like I I'm a very neurotic person, so I feel like I would need like to be sitting up somewhere. Like as I put food into my mouth, I feel like I would be like swinging and like pancakes, like syrup would be drizzling down my face. I mean, is it messy or am I just overthinking it? No, and you're not. You're totally not overthinking it. There's always like a stump by my bed. And you know what? Anna Stockwell is my neighbor. And she's, this is what happens when you live in a small town. She just came out with a new cookbook and she's literally like dropping off food on my porch. Okay, that's so <laughs> I'm cute. just waving oh, to her. Hi. There's usually a, a stump or something by the hammock that they would like put a tray on and, you know, lemonade on the ground. And it's very casual. Wow, and wait. I think it's not as much about like feeling like I got filled up. It's just feeling like I get to put my feet up and not worry about breakfast for once. Well, I'm curious because I I suspect and I and I know this is true of myself that when you love to cook, you're also you tend to be a bit of a con- control freak. Yes. And I and I wonder is it hard for you even when you're getting cooked for, which it sounds like you enjoy, is it hard for you to like let go of control and and to not say, "Hey, yes. you know, maybe you should have used oil instead of butter when you cook the pancakes. Yes, Adam, it's so funny that you asked that. Literally one hour ago, I was thinking, you know, why, like, in case you asked me, you know, how I really got into food because it's been such a meandering path. But I think if at the heart of it, it is because I'm a bit of a control freak and I like, I have a high standard. I like delicious. I like beautiful. I like high quality ingredients. And so it's like that has allowed me to control what I eat all the time because I'll be like, oh, I'll cook it. I'll make it. Yeah. But then it is hard to relax into letting someone else treat you. But I will say when I go to someone's house, I feel very, very relaxed Mm -hmm. and I feel very treated. It's hard to let anyone else cook and run the show in the kitchen in my own house. I know. But when I'm at someone else's house, like literally whatever they make always tastes so good to me. Yeah. You know, and people say, oh, I'm nervous or, you know, don't judge me. And I'm like, are you kidding? This is such an incredible treat. I've to heard me. that from um, chefs too, that people are afraid to cook for chefs, but they're so grateful to have a home cooked meal because they never really yeah. get that. But I didn't ask you, how old are your kids? Oh, my daughter's 11 and my son just turned seven. So we're officially out of little kid yeah. territory. Just, I feel like just this year it, felt like I have big kids. And is the 11 year old like in the kitchen with you? Does she cook? She is. She's a, I would say she is my best recipe tester. I mean, all the recipes in my books have been tested by professional cooks as well and professional recipe testers. But now she's to the point where I can give her a recipe from one of my books or something I'm developing and be like, can you put this together? Really? The other day, I've been in charge of making birthday cakes for three special friends' spring birthdays. I have this group of lady friends and everybody has a spring birthday. And I've been making birthday cakes like every week. And she's like, mommy, I'll help. And she'll mise en place the whole thing wow. so precisely, better, more precisely than I would. Because <laughs> I'm kind of a from the hip baker and cook. I make a lot of substitutions. I feel really loose with things. I never follow recipes exactly except mm-hmm. for... If I'm making it for a book, I've, of course I right. do. I test it. But if I'm using someone else's book, I'm usually just kind of taking inspiration and then kind of tweaking. Um, but she's so precise and she'll make it exact and it always turns out perfectly. Mm. So that's kind of neat to see where that will go. But my son is really passionate. My son is the more passionate. He's the passionate giver. He loves 
his love language, like mine, is nurturing and giving. He wants to be the one to like bring the platter to the table and show you what he made. It's it's a real moment of, um, I think, of pride and and recognition and his autonomy over life that he can do something like that. Wait, so he cooks too? He does. Yeah, he's. They've both been in the kitchen with me since they were babies. Like they were both kind of sling or babies who like to be held a lot. Babies who are always in the sling or on me. And so I remember. I mean, probably. My daughter was probably four months old. And I remember I was making something and it's soy sauce. And I would like dip my finger and let <laughs> her just tuck on the finger. And it would be, you know, tomato sauce or soy sauce or clementine. And I mean, luckily, I will say, you know, for other moms listening who have food allergies in their family, we're really lucky we don't have any food allergies. So I was able to take mm-hmm. those liberties and be more loose with it. But they were always tasting from the from day one, you know. And did they go through like a fussy phase with you? Like were there were there periods where they refused to eat what you made? Yes, my son for sure. My daughter is an awesome eater. She we lived in New York City till she was about five. And so she'll, you know, she eats oysters and whatever, wherever we go. She loves Korean food and she loves ramen and she loves, you know, Midwestern. She loves my grand my mom's like biscuits yeah. and lasagna. She'll eat everything. Yeah, this is a good path to walk down, I think, for a little bit because because it's Mother's Day. I do think the idea of like parenting your children to love food is is a complicated thing because I think a lot of parents just want their kids to eat. Like my, you know, I, I I have a lot of friends with kids, and I feel like they get frustrated and they'll just like boil pasta and mix it with butter and just like put it on their plate and. Yeah, totally. But I feel like there has to come a moment where you either like draw the line in the sand where you're like, okay, you're gonna eat what we're what we're all eating or, or you placate them. And I, I think that probably has huge consequences down the line. Like if they, if they get the message that, you know, they don't have to do what they're told or, or, or they don't have to participate in what everyone else is doing and they can be catered to, I think that can change your personality. Actually, I think that can really set you up differently in life. So I think so too. I mean, I think it's a slippery slope because you know, kids aren't going to love everything they're introduced to. But my goal is that I just constantly introduce and I say, this is what we're having for dinner. And one of the things I've had to say recently to my son, you know, it's really interesting because both of my kids almost predominantly ate what I cooked, except for when we would go out for restaurants. And um, because of the pandemic, we have not had a lot of restaurant food in the last couple of years, obviously. And then my son started first grade this year. So it's the first time he's been asking, can I have school lunch? And having school lunch really changed his palate. You know, he's now, he, if it's not peanut butter and jelly, which some, things I never serve, you know, I just serve what we want to eat and what sounds exciting and new to me, what's in, what's in season in the market or whatever fresh fish we got. And they've always eaten everything. And recently having that exposure to really you know, package more vanilla Mm -hmm. kid focused food and kids menus, quote unquote, you know, he's now wanting that kind of food. And so my message to him is just like, sometimes we make what you like. And sometimes I make what daddy likes. And, you Uh know, daddy and I lived in New York City for 15 years together. Like we like, you know, Middle Eastern food and and we like Indian food. And, you know, we like all the foods we ate together when we were dating, which was like living in Queens and, you know, going down to Chinatown. And so, his palate has become more vanilla the, the more we live in this small town and he eats school food. Um, and my message to him is just like, we eat everything. So if you're hungry later, I'm sorry. You know, uh-huh. you can have a glass of milk or you can find yourself a snack. But I, I cooked and I'm cleaning up now. Wow, I like that. I think that's really healthy. And it's also interesting because 
there's also the question of like conformity when you're a kid. It's like you want to fit in at school and like if yeah. all the kids are eating chicken fingers and, you know, trading, totally. trading Oreo cookies, it's like you don't want to bring your mom's, you know, weird, like, you know, not weird, but, uh, you know, something that you cooked up of like lamb necks or whatever, you know. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. And when Greta was little, I mean, she would, she was at a daycare in, in Queens and, you know, we would send her like quinoa salad and she loved it. Yeah. And now I think even as an 11 year old in junior high, she's just like that. I'm good, mom. I don't oh, need a really? quinoa but it's salad so funny in my though, life. But hasn't the culture shifted? Cause like now I feel like young kids are on TikTok, like making things, you know, it's like, I do feel like yeah, younger are. people are more interested in cooking than like when I was a kid. Like, I don't think that was even a thing. I agree. If only I could make the like the TikTok feta and put it in the lunchbox, that'd be cool, you know? <laughs> That's really funny. So in terms of your childhood, like where did you grow up and, and what kind of food did you eat? You say you're from the Midwest? Yeah, I'm from Northern Illinois. I grew up in a suburban area um, about an hour and a half northwest of Chicago. My parents both grew up on farms and, you know, had fresh food outside their door in the garden and they canned with their parents and they you know, my my mom's parents raised chickens and pigs and cows and everything. And so by the time I came along with the fourth kid and their family, my mom was like, I'm good. I'm good with farming. I'm done with gardening. Like she was psyched to live somewhere. She could drive to the grocery store and get like nice cleaned chicken that she didn't have to pluck herself. Uh-huh. And I went through this like deep dive farm stage where you know, I was coming of age in the food world, beginning of the flow, slow food movement. And it was a really big deal to me. And I was like, I want to go work on a farm and I want to go to culinary school and I want to have my own garden and I want to dig up the flowers in the backyard and plant watermelon. And they were like, whoa, 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 you know. <laughs> um, but for the most part, what we ate was just like wholesome. She always cooked, but it was, you know, she had about her, we, we had, she had six dinners kind of that she rotated, you know, cashew chicken grilled chicken, mashed potatoes and corn, uh-huh. like grilled steak. There was a steak. It was like the meat and the side, right? right. And we always joke. Uh, my mom always said, oh, there should be lots of color on the plate. You know, that's how you know it's nutritious, which was smart. It was, she was ahead of her time in that, you know, it should be lots of different varieties and lots of different colors. But then she had this thing called the white dinner. <laughs> it was like, we called it the white dinner. It was like white fish baked with lemon, with white rice, with like lima beans. And oh we're like, gosh. mom, what happened to the color on the plate? <laughs> and my dad, you know, it's a podcast, so I can't really show the face, but my dad is really animated and really goofy and he loves good food so much. So he would make this face. He'd be like, oh, honey, this is delicious. And then he'd turn to us kids and he'd be like, Bleh. you know, and it was like this big family joke because he was always licking his lips and going authentically when he liked her food, he would go, Oh, honey, honey, this is just marvelous. This is delicious. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, so when I became a mom and a and a wife, I was like, oh my gosh, my kids are just going to be like going nuts over my food. And that's not how everyone communicates, right? Mm-hmm. I'm used to someone saying I love your food by like literally licking their lips and moaning and groaning over how yummy it is. That's what I heard as like effective complimenting someone's right. food. So my husband is like the opposite. He puts his head down and he like eats, <laughs> like power eats. Like that's how his family is. But if everyone's quiet and their backs are kind of like hunched over, you're like, wow, everybody loves this dinner. Oh, that's interesting. So it's it's a different signal to you that everything is good, yeah. but it's not what you grew up with. It's Exactly. So I'm always fascinated with how families 
grew up, you know, what, what their mealtime vibe was like. Yeah. I mean, you I'm know, so, like, yeah, I'm so needy. It's funny because my mom tells this famous story, which is kind of disturbing now that I think about it, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know even know if it's true because it sounds crazy, but my mom, my mom married my dad when she was 18. He was tw- oh 24 and he was, uh, he had, was in dental school and he became a dentist. And then early in his career, like he would come home and my mom, you know, my mom is, for lack of a better phrase, like a Jewish American princess. Like she didn't want to cook, but she like made herself cook for him. And she was so needy that apparently like one night she made spaghetti, tomato sauce. And she was like, do you like it? And he's like, yeah, it's good. And then she'd be like, but do you really like it? And he's like, yeah. And then apparently like he took the spaghetti and threw it at her, (laughs) which, (laughs) (laughs) which I guess now, you know, that sounds a little violent, but I think it was more funny. And I think that she said she never cooked again. Uh, But I think, I think I relate to my mom. It's funny that you're talking about what kind of, cook your mother was versus what you are like my mom passed down all of her restaurant love to me I mean like my mom shows her love love that through taking charge at a restaurant like like where everyone's gonna sit like how we're gonna order I mean it's so funny because my husband Craig as his sister who's a therapist says I grew up in an enmeshed family um, where everyone was up in each other's business and like my mom wanted uh-huh. to know like, what everyone was ordering. And Craig grew up in a family where everyone was an individual. And like, you know, so Craig, when I go out to dinner with him, it's like, what are you getting for your appetizer? What are you getting for your entree? Should we share that? He's like, mind your own business. Whereas, like, I love this. This is so fascinating. But with, like my mom, it's like, okay, why don't we share the the calamari and then, you know, we'll split a Caesar salad. Da, da, da. So it's, it's funny because it's like she never cooked, but she showed a lot of maternal love through ordering at restaurants. So it's just, it's just so yeah, making sure you guys experience yes. all the good things. That was kind of my dad and our family, just the one who he was my own tray into like food is theater. Food is art. Food is food is like extreme love. Food is joy. Uh-huh. You know, for, for my dad's family, he's, he's from Southern Missouri. So it's wouldn't be considered Southern to, uh, you know, someone from Georgia. But his lifestyle and his family and even his accent is very Southern. Big Sunday mm. meals with biscuits and gravy and yeah. fried chicken and cobbler and six time, types of homemade jams, you know, for the biscuits. And that's where really my love of the lavishness of like the, ta- the, the meals should take a long time. We should be laughing. Mm-hmm. There should be lots of different things passed around. For my mom, it was more of a, a duty. She didn't yeah. love it. And she showed us a lot of it. Now, in retrospect, when I realize what it is to crank out three meals, or even if you just do two a day, mm-hmm. it is a labor of love. And like, I'm a breakfast person. I love lavishing everyone with these beautiful breakfasts. But by dinner, I'm kind of done. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of like, let's just keep it simple. I want to get in and like play a game or read or, you know, go on a bike ride or get out in the yard or whatever it is. Um, but it is so I love to hear these stories about how it comes together. And, you know, I grew up reading a lot of novels about kids who grew up in New York City or grew up in the way you did going to restaurants and oh, yeah? having their what, what kind of books were they? What, what, which books? Well, I wish I could remember titles, but I just remember, you know, I remember leaving such an impression on me, like learning about a Jewish family that goes and has Christmas Eve dinner. You know, uh, what would be Christmas Eve for me? They, they might be like in Chinatown oh, having yeah. Peking Dock yeah. and like all of these kinds of things that are yet now stereotypical. It's so funny. Yeah. Cause Craig will always be like, what did your family do for Christmas when you're growing up? I was like, nothing. Cause it's not a holiday it that we celebrated. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but when I experienced those, you know, reading something, a passage where a family's like, you know, passing through or going out to restaurants in that way, 
and having a mother who like injects herself and 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 really knows about it was attractive to me. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like if your mother was a character in a book, <laughs> that was the kind of character that said to me, this is a life for me. I might want to live there one day. Mm-hmm. I might want to be that kind of mother. I might want to like be the person at the restaurant being like, this is it. This is our moment. Right. You know? And I think that's how I am now. And what about your husband's family? I mean, because you said he's Hungarian. So did he grow up with um, a lot of home cooking and like goulash? Is that yes. what kind of... Uh... Yes. He grew up in Hungary. He came here in his 20s from Budapest. And um, his mother and father grow almost everything they eat. Wow. His, his mom, she had a career and, and she... Hungary is very well set up to support the family units. It's very, very easy and possible to have a big career as a woman and also be home to make dinner every night. It's it's very different from here. There's a major infrastructure and mm-hmm. everything from the schooling to the benefits and the childcare and the healthcare and everything. But so she was a career woman, but she also cooks everything they ate. And so she has three kids, but of, of my husband, Andras, his oldest brother and him were international taekwondo champion. So they just like <laughs> ate and ate and ate and ate, wow. you know, so she would make palachinta, which is Hungarian pancakes. Whereas like a recipe might say it makes eight to 12 pancakes. She would make like a quadruple batch. So she would make a platter that stacked like, you know, a foot and a half high of, of rolled Hungarian pancakes filled with her homemade apricot Holy jelly crap. or, you know, big cakes. And, you know, she would make, Baked rice pudding was a big thing for them and beautiful soups. And they have orchards and grow all their own fruit, but it's not like a big fancy thing. It's just everybody has five or six fruit trees trees in their backyard and, you know, has a huge garden. And they really live off the land, truly, like from the walnuts. She bakes a lot of cakes, a lot of simple, very home style, you know, walnut cakes Mm. or puppy seed cakes or sour cherry cakes. They're usually sponge cakes, but she would make a big, huge platter of it, cut it into 24 slices. And the boys would come in and get like three slices. <laughs> and if, if we're visiting and you didn't get there at like 3 p.m. when they served it, like you might get the corner edge that's left. Wow. So does your husband still eat that way? Like, does he still he's eat He's a, a big eater. I mean, he's a big athlete and he burns it, but you know, we're not 25 anymore. Let's just say that. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I have to like watch what I eat now. But um, that's so fascinating. I, I, I'm noticing a theme here in your life where it's like your family there was a farm and then you moved to the city and then your husband, his family has like orchards and stuff. So it's like, there's like very much like city mouse, country mouse, but, but now you've moved back into the country sort of. So I was going to ask you like, what was that like for you to go from farm to city to back into the country? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that. I think I'm definitely a person who thrives on having both. Mm-hmm. I always, growing up kind of in a suburban neighborhood, I said I never wanted to, I had a great, wonderful childhood, but I always said like, it doesn't stimulate me to live in suburbia. So I either wanted to live in like the biggest city, like I've lived in Paris, I've lived in Dublin, I've lived in New York City, uh. or I want to live in a tiny village. And so both the village we live in now and where we visit in the summer in Hungary are teeny tiny villages with like a church, a bar, a library mm. and, you know, a bunch of little houses. How far are you from New York? I mean, New York City. Um, 90 miles, 90 miles north, really close to Kingston. Okay. Cause my, my, one of my best friends just moved to Irvington. I don't know if that's near where you are. Oh yeah. Beautiful area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our village is tiny and we have about an acre and, you know, I just, I've just always, even when we were in the city, I gardened, I had a community garden at 
I used to live on in Hell's Kitchen and there was a really wonderful community garden there that was so vibrant and just so well um, integrated into the community. Everybody from all walks of life was there mm-hmm. and gardening next to each other. And that really like was my place to cultivate. And I was there in that garden for like 10 years. Wait, Hell's so Kitchen got, had a garden? Yes, there's a garden so on wait, 51st <laughs> sorry. Street. I'm just like processing what you're saying because I'm just thinking of like going to the theater district and I'm like being people, like, like tourists yes. everywhere. And just like the idea of there being a garden, but I had no idea. It's fabulous. It's called Clinton Community Gardens. It's between 9th Avenue and 10th Avenue. Now I have to remember, it's been a long time since I lived oh, there. Oh, but- wait, I know where that is. And is it like closer to Chelsea? Um, no, it's, it's like on 48th or 40. Oh, no, 40. I don't know where that is. Okay. <laughs> but I remember, you know, I was on this waiting list forever to get a little plot, like a tiny plot, you know, five by five or eight by eight. I can't remember. And I remember, you know, even after I'd left that neighborhood, I was like, this is my piece of New York city. Like mm-hmm. I can't give it up. And, um, it felt like such a big deal, you know, to have this little piece of land to cultivate in such a major part such a busy part of the city. It was like where the horses would clap along going back to their stables from Central Park. And, you know, there was an, there was a junior high next to me, like loud, you know, lots of fights and loud kids and ruckus in the street. But it was like all of it together Mm -hmm. was what I think as a writer, I mean, I think that's what sparks me is, is like, um, contrast is mm-hmm. so interesting to me. But in terms of like now having your own property where like you, I mean, you mentioned peach trees, you mentioned, so did, when you moved into this house, did you plant all that yourself? I mean, were, were, was this all your yeah. creation? That was the first thing we did was just like, okay, when we had this really rough backyard, it was like half weeds and some pretty gnarly grass. And I was just like, all right, if we're going to come up here on, you know, a couple of weekends and then eventually we moved here, but I put in like, you know, 12, 12 tomato plants one year. And I was like, okay. Then the next year I was like, okay, let's put in blackberry bushes and then raspberry bushes. And I would just, we'd be driving around up here and upstate and I'd see on the side of the road, like, you know, blackberry bushes, like $4.99, you know, or $2.99, like really inexpensive. I was just taking a risk and buying from a little roadside stand. And then, you know, they would just pop up they would triple and double every mm-hmm. year because they create their own shoots often. And uh-huh. so, or you can learn how to tip them into the ground so they do create another plant. And so now, you know, now we have five or six kind of berries and three or four fruit trees and a big garden. And it's just been an evolution over many, many years. And it's in your genes. You know, it's funny. It's like, we were talking yeah. about like being a mother and like, when this is sort of passed down to you in a way and that your husband's mother too, or family like passed down this idea of growing things. So I love that. But now I feel like is the moment we should segue into like some, some advice for people this Mother's Day weekend. So we, we talked about what you do and, and eating pancakes that your husband makes and do your children, are your children going to make anything for you? Do you think? Um, they usually like, you know, they're the one, my, my little son loves to pick flowers and like arrange things. He's got a real eye for detail. So they usually like make the tray and they'll help Andrash make, make everything. And my, um, my son loves to make coffee. I just recently <laughs> became a coffee drinker Okay, and it's something that I never really enjoyed during the day. It was like an evening thing for me. So he'll make, you know, he'll like steam the milk and they do their little parts Cute. of everything. Wait, know? so he makes the coffee, but he doesn't drink coffee. He's how old is he? No, no, no. <laughs> he no, he likes to help with the we got for Father's Day for my husband, we got like a really nice espresso machine. Uh, and so he likes to use the the make the foamed milk and 
it's kind of their thing in the morning. And so now that I'm in on it too, he's, my son is like, oh, mommy, can I make you a steamed milk? Can I make the steamed milk for your coffee? Not to go too far off topic, but I'm actually in the market for an espresso machine or something like that. Do you mind sharing like which one you got? I love the one we got. We got the Breville yeah, Pro. That's what I was going to get. You know, there was so many dreamy Italian sports car looking ones yes. that if we had the budget, I would love the to Mata buy for him. The or whatever that one's called. Yes, that one's exactly. beautiful. Like, that's like $5,000. Yeah, no way. Exactly. <laughs> like one day, you know, when we're retired and we don't have schools and whatever, like that would be so neat to have something like that. But I think this makes exceptional coffee and the grinding system is really good. And it grinds it right into the thing at the top. Yeah, I was exactly. looking at that. Okay, maybe I'll get that. All right, so back to Mother's yeah. Day. So so typically <laughs> Mother's Day is a brunch, right? I mean, most people make a brunch. And so if you were um, advi- counseling someone uh, who's having their mother, let's say this is like someone our age, you know, in their, you know, in our, we're both in our 20s. Wink, wink. Obviously, like <laughs> um, if we were cooking for our mothers, like let's talk, let's give advice in that regard. Like, what would you make if you were hosting a Mother's Day brunch? What what kind of things would you make? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is a recipe I developed for the New York Times. I have well, there's two actually that are I think kind of perfect for this. But one is a polenta egg bake. You make this soft, delicious polenta, and then you crack and you can put ham in there or asparagus or peas or whatever your mother loves. And then you crack the eggs in, in little, you kind of take a spoon and dip it in and make little wells and Mm -hmm. crack the eggs in and then you put it back in to bake. So that's this runny, delicious casserole, but it's so easy. Do you doctor the polenta with like cheese or um, butter? Yes, of course. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Butter, Parmesan, the whole thing, milk, make it really yummy. And does it get um, firmer when you bake it? Like, is it sort of, does it stay soft or is the idea that- to spoon it without it like dripping it you could serve it in a plate or you could serve it in a shallow bowl it's definitely firm enough to spoon it out but it's not um it's not firm like a fried polenta or like the kind that you buy and cut it's nice and soupy and i love that because you could probably make the base ahead right and then crack the eggs you could make it it. ahead yeah that's a really good idea yeah you could make it ahead i mean i am such a waffle we're also a waffle family i mean we're breakfast people for sure but in each of my books there's like one or two signature breakfast food. So in my book, Every Day Saturday, there's something called the family waffle. And I like it for moms because I'm very health conscious. I love, you know, I like clean ingredients. I cook a lot with gluten-free flours, almond flours, chia Mm. seed. You know, I don't use refined sugars. I really haven't for the last like maybe five years. I use maple syrup or, Mm. you know, something, something natural and not expensive. I'm not using like physillium husk and like I'm just using things you can get at the grocery store. You can get from Thrive Market, mm-hmm. shipped to you, like simple. But um, my family waffle from that book is is very health conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always trying to go for maximum flavor and texture without tons of fats mm-hmm. or white flours or refined sugars. So that one's delicious. And then in my first book, I have a pancake called the Oatmeal Yogurt Pancake, which kind of went viral, like when the book was new oh, 12 yeah. years ago. It was like when, you know, blogs and um what was that one pinterest where you could just no not pinterest babe before that tumblr tumblr yeah you know people would just like it was just like everywhere all over the internet because it's really yummy and it's simple and you're t- you're putting oats right in your pancake batter so it's like a little heartier but they're real fluffy and there's greek yogurt in it i'm always fascinated by like quote unquote healthy waffles and healthy pancakes because like to me there is they, they do sort of feel like an oxymoron like 
like if I'm gonna make a waffle or make a pancake, I feel like I may as well just like make a cake because it is cake basically that you're making. It's a, like a cake batter that you're sort of frying in like fat. But it sounds like what you're doing. It sounds like very like 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 a thoughtful mother's approach to making these things because it's like you want your kids to eat it, but you also want them to get good nutrition. So I, 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 I yeah, guess, yeah, that's smart. I think that's definitely my mo, and maybe that's my strength in cooking in general because I grew up with a very indulgent. I mean, my mom was a very healthy cook and my dad's very indulgent. He just, mm-hmm. you know, he's a doctor, but he would have like pour cream on his cereal, mm-hmm. like whatever made it delicious. The way he grew up with on the farm, like fresh milk, whole, we always drink whole milk. Mm-hmm. And my mom would be like, they should probably be having skim milk now they're, you know, 11. And he'd be like, oh no, hogwash, you know, like right. fresh milk, cream, like butter, real butter. Like we'd bypass the whole margarine phase because my dad's like, no, whole ingredients, like <laughs> And he was right in the end, but, but he's very, he can be indulgent with those things. And I grew up with like, not a lot of boundaries on how much and the quantity and the mm-hmm. just enjoy yourself. Right. But, um, that doesn't necessarily work for my body type. So oh, interesting. I learned okay, early yeah. on what feels good for me yeah. and to kind of blend the two in a way that my kids feel like they're getting treated. And I feel like I'm getting treated. Mm-hmm. So do your kids eat, eat refined sugar though? I mean, cause you mentioned them going to school. So like, do they have their first like um, piece of sure. like refined yeah. sugar cake and be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have a, ice cream and cake yeah. and cookies and, you know, I mean, it's impossible these days because my whole philosophy is like, I can control what they have at home and what they have at birthday parties and at school. I just want them to be kids and mm-hmm. be free and have fun. But, you know, I remember one year my daughter went trick-or-treating, you know, and and she was like four or five and we hadn't, you know, with your first child, you're more careful. And so she hadn't had a lot of candy and everything she had, sweets was basically homemade or whatever. And she went up to trick-or-treat with one of our very dear friends who's also like careful about what she feeds her kids. And they, they said, trick or treat. And the lady handed them candy. And she was like, oh, thanks. I, you know, I can't eat food coloring. That's what my daughter said. <laughs> and the other little girl goes, I can't really have much sugar. And I was like, guys, it's Halloween. <laughs> like the mom and I laughed, looked at each other and our faces were horrified. We're like, oh my gosh, we did this. Like right. we yeah. did this and they just need to be normal kids and like have fun. Well, I, I imagine as a parent, like you constantly want to protect your children. You want to keep them safe. You want to, and if you know a lot about food, it's like you, you can prevent them from ingesting chemicals. You can, but at the same time, it's like they have to live their lives. So it's like at a certain point you have to like, let them eat some of the stuff the same way you have to let them ride their bicycle off into the street. You know, it's like, it's the same idea. Or like watch a PG 13 movie when they're actually 11, you know, it's like, But, you know, I always read the ingredients on everything and that's, you know, kind of like, it's almost like when you know too much, right? Right. And my husband will come home from the store and he'll be like very proud of himself for all the yummy, smart, helpful things he bought for the family for that week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know what I'm like? just don't read the ingredients. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right. And, you know, and then no one will be home and I'll be like, that looks so good. And I'll read the ingredients and like, oh man, you know. It's almost like sometimes you just have to shut that part of your brain off Mm -hmm. and be like, this is life. We're supposed to enjoy ourselves and have fun. So my goal in my books is is to kind of take that out of the equation where you don't have to think about that. I'm thinking about that for you. So when you get the book, you can just feel like you're relaxing and indulging because I've already I've already eliminated things that I'm, you know, I from my reading and my training and nutrition background 
I don't think are helping you, Mm -hmm. but I still want you to have the full life experience of delicious and exciting, you know, memories at the table. So do you ever like just let your hair down and sort of go to the store and buy cream and buy like bacon and buy... Oh, well, we eat cream. We definitely have cream and butter. Yes. My son loves bacon. So you'll do all that stuff too. It's just you do it in balance with everything else. Yeah. I think it's really more the the, the refined sugar, uh-huh. the amount of sugar right. kids have access to. Oh, yeah. Simply because like nowadays it's like it used to be Halloween and maybe like Easter or whatever, you know, whatever holiday your family celebrates were like the candy holidays. But now it's like Valentine's Day became like not just a little Valentine card, but like a little goodie bag full of Mm -hmm. things. There's like goodie bags. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so funny when I think of my childhood, like I ate so much sugar as a kid. Like my mom, I remember those little like six pack cereal things where you can get like a have like oh, yeah. corn pops and frosted those flakes. Those were amazing. I loved that. I remember yeah. fro- fro- I remember Rice Krispies came out like in the 80s or early 90s with like frosted Rice Krispies. Oh, right. And I so thought crazy. that was like the greatest. Like, when I ate that, I was like, what is making this so delicious? This is the greatest thing ever invented. And it's like, oh, yeah, they just like dumped like a pound of sugar on Rice Krispies and like stirred them up but I also like my mom would buy me um yodels ring dings twinkies entomans like that like our house was like filled with that stuff and it's it's kind of amazing that I still you know came out somewhat like not like you know toothless <laughs> 500 pounds overweight I mean it just feels like it's it's kind of it just kind of shows you that like maybe it's not that bad to eat that much sugar, yeah but it's, it's, it's okay yeah. like we all did I mean I drink tang yeah like probably like every few days or often, at least in the summer, tons yeah. of Kool-Aid. We ate Jell-O. Kool-Aid is you know, hilarious because that's pure I sugar. I loved all that stuff. Do you remember that, yeah. remember that candy where it was like, like just basically like a little pouch of sugar and you suck a stick into Fun it? Dip. Fun dip. Do I ever? Yeah. That's my favorite. Because that was so just sugar. Good. It was literally just sugar. It was a bag full of colored sugar. Totally. Yeah. Colored sugar with the sugar stick to dip into yeah, it. It was insane. kind of amazing. And I loved nerds, which were also just like sugar. So good. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we could connect over that. So Yeah. A, nerds, uh, big league chew, pure sugar gum. Yes. We had all that stuff. So my parents were not strict about sugar at all. So I think it comes from... I, I think it comes from like, I, I mean, we, this is like a whole sidebar, but I actually first went to school to study, to be, to become a doctor. And I wanted uh-huh. to be pre-med. I was pre-med for like three years of my college same, career. Same my, organic chemistry, oh, biology, yeah. physics, chemistry, did it all. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the detour into food, the nutrition piece really stayed with me. Yeah. Like you, food is thy medicine, you know, what you put in your body is what you become. And at the cellular level, like that's fascinating. That's like a whole nother podcast, but it's fascinating to me the way food affects our brain, our mood. It's like such a deep level of interest for me. So I try to just like, okay, that's my own personal nerding out situation. And then how can I distill it for the, for, for the way that that translates into delicious and fun and just kind of, so I don't talk about that stuff a lot in my books, but it's a big part of the way I think about food, I think. No, I really like that. And I, I think I'm the same way. You know, it's funny because like Craig will be like, when was the last time you had McDonald's? And I'll be like, honestly, it's been like 15 years. Like I, and it's not that I'm like snobby about it. It's more just like, I'm so aware of like what they're doing. Like, it's like, I know the shortcuts they're taking and like, and right. where this meat is coming from and where, you know, the sugar that's in the, all the, I don't know. There's just something like once you become aware of some of that nutritional stuff, it is hard to put that into your body if you're so conscious of it. So I totally get it. That makes a lot of sense. I totally, you know, I had, um, the last time I had Taco Bell was when I was pregnant with my son. 
my husband, who's like not a food snob at all and, and like eats very healthy. He's vegetarian. He's been vegetarian for like 20 years, but, but he's not finicky about stuff like that. But I remember my daughter was like four and we came home and he's like, what is that? She's like, mommy took me to a place called Taco Bell. <laughs> and he, he looked at me like I was like evil. And I was like, it was so good. We <laughs> yeah. got a Mexi melt. And I paid with cash, so it's like not on record. Oh my god, you know? that's hilarious! Now I have it on this podcast, so we're gonna destroy right? your know, career. You know it's, it's, <laughs> exactly, it's gonna ruin my career. But the thing is, it's like you just have to allow yourself to yes, live a little, right? Of like course. Seventy twenty or eighty twenty rule or seventy thirty rule is a pretty good one. Like you know, eighty percent of the time. Yeah, when I fall off the wagon, quote unquote, like my issue is I, I have a hard time getting back on it. Like like this past weekend, I'm going. This is a whole sidebar that has nothing to do with Mother's Day, but I've been. <laughs> going to the gym like in the past like two months like I've been going to the gym a bunch like I've been trying to drink smoothies for lunch I've been trying to eat like protein and vegetables for dinner I've been really conscious and then this last weekend I don't know what it was maybe I was depressed I don't know I just like ate everything like I went to a bakery and had I mean I went to like several bakeries I had cakes I had I made like a like a rag, five hour ragu with like you know yeah. pork and everything I was like eating bowlfuls of pop and it's just like the old me would have been like well that's it like forget the gym because Monday yesterday was Monday and I was like I am what's the point like why would I go right. to the gym now that's like you just ruined everything but then that's like I have to mentally switch over and be like no you, you did you did that and you needed to do that like your body was craving right. that and now you, you can go back to the gym and you can still have a smoothie like it's so psychological to to try to maintain healthfulness you know and it is I think food is very psychological and yeah. like we were talking about our family I mean there's such a message in the the feeding and love that happens from like the nurturing of babyhood mm -hmm. on up that it's it's you can't it's like spaghetti you cannot untwine it yes. you know it's just part of who you are mm -hmm. and hopefully you know my my hope for people is that it's mostly positive whether your mom or you as a parent or you know aunt or uncle or whatever become strict or lavish or whatever but just wherever you are in that spectrum that it's it's mostly shrouded in like happy good memories right it's not about restriction because everyone's way yeah. is their way right yeah. everyone's way is okay it's okay for them and they work it out every family is so unique and every everyone brings into it like you know like i was a, a heavy fifth and sixth grader mm. so i'm like a little more aware because i've been through that already right. you know so like everyone brings into that their point of view yeah. and then you find your family's rhythm and also like for you, like, I feel like taking your daughter to Taco Bell, it's like you were demystifying for her this other, the other side of life. You know, it's like, it's not, you know, yeah. I think sometimes like when, when you grow up with, like, without whatever something, you know, whether it's like R rated movies or whatever, it's like, it becomes sort of this magical thing. Like, what is that? Totally. Like, how, but if, like, if your parents sort of demystify it for you, it, it kind of loses its charge in terms of rebellion or. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say one of my favorite things has been like, a, I have a couple of friends that I've worked with and I won't name their names, but like who are very well revered in the food world or very well revered magazine editors, you know, and you get to know them, you get really close and you'll have this moment where they like, you know, you've had this wonderful dinner party and they bring out like Doritos <laughs> at the end. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's literally the last thing I ever thought I'd see you eating, but I like you better now. Yes. Like I like you more because you're just real and you're just human. Yeah, we, were, we all you know, have like that. Like a friend yeah. of mine who's who's just makes the most beautiful, beautiful food ever. And once her daughter was like having to melt down on the floor because she wanted like boxed macaroni and cheese. Uh -huh. And I was like, give her the mac and cheese. Like, did it, yeah. you know, and she's like, 
I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, why? Like every, all of our kids have had it, you know? Absolutely. And, it, and I think it actually makes you a little more normal as a kid too, to be able to like yeah, reference those totally. things. Uh, well, Sarah, we even went over our first half of our podcast or this, the first podcast. So thank you so much for talking Mother's Day and stick around. We're going to do the bonus episode, but just for people who are listening to this free episode, thank you so much and have a good Mother's Day. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. So fun to chat with you. Yeah. And if people want to find you, by the way, you have a Substack now, right? I do have a Substack. It's Edible Living on Substack. And edibleliving.com is where you can find all my books. Everything's linked there to indie publications, like indie, indie shops where you can buy them. Great. Um, yeah. Awesome. And Edible Living on Instagram. All right, Sarah. Well, stick around, but thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for watching today's episode. No, not watching, listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends, share it, put it on Twitter. I wish you all a very, very happy Mother's Day. I hope you got some good ideas for it. And if you feel like making a cake this week on my Amateur Gourmet show on YouTube, I show you how to make a yellow cake with chocolate frosting, which funny enough is very similar to the kinds of cakes a lot of our mothers made for our birthdays. Um, So check that out, Amateur Gourmet Show on YouTube. And if you want to get my newsletter and the bonus episode with Sarah, be sure to subscribe to my Substack, amateurgourmet.substack.com. All right, I'll see you back here next week for a really great episode. If you're watching the show, Julia, um, it has something to do with that. All right, I'll see you then. Take care.